Well, it's good to see you this Sunday. I didn't see you last Sunday. Where were you? I hope you were worshiping uh, by way of our Oakmont website or possibly by way of our Oakmont Facebook page. And, uh, you know, technology has a lot of good things to offer us. And so last week there was that opportunity to worship online, and so I hope that you were able to tune in. Uh, I don't know what the final count was, but at one point on uh, Monday, the Facebook page, the Oakmont Facebook page, had 1,000 views of our worship service. And many of you uh, worshiped online as well, and so if you didn't have a chance to, to worship last Sunday and you really want second helpings today, then you can always go back and see uh, last Sunday's sermon and the worship that, uh, that I did from home that I hope you were able to um, enjoy and appreciate. Well, as I mentioned last Sunday uh, in the online service, today we start a sermon series on the seven deadly sins. And you'll notice in your worship bulletin that there's some information, a little background on the seven deadly sins. And we begin today by looking at that first sin of pride, the first sin of pride. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Luke chapter 18. You can pull up the scripture on your mobile device. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you. If you didn't bring one, Luke is the third gospel. This is one of the parables that Jesus tells about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Now, that's another way of saying we have some self-righteous people in the world. So if you're fairly self-righteous and you look down on everybody else, then Jesus has a parable for all of us. He told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple. Now, we're in Jerusalem. Two people went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, who would have been a Jewish religious leader at the time, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector, parenthesis, one of the most hated, despised, looked down upon people in all of Jewish society. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself or prayed to himself. This isn't really a prayer to God as much as it's a prayer to him, potentially for others to hear. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. Now, how would you fill in the blank today? What person would you fill in the blank for tax collector? God, I thank you that I am not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, 
and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord, and together let us say, thanks be to God. Well, I thought it was okay to have pride in things and people. What's so bad about expressing a little pride on occasion? Why is it such a bad, shameful thing to do to have a little pride? I mean, don't we parents tell children constantly, show a little pride in yourself? Show some pride in the chores you do around the house. Show some pride in your schoolwork. Show some pride in the way your bedroom looks. Don't we tell our children to show a little pride in how you look and their status in the world? Don't we encourage parents and teachers to express pride in their child's or their student's good behavior at school or their academic achievements? Don't we tell them to show a little pride? And don't we have a sense of pride in some of the things that we belong to or we're connected with? For instance, I've just never met a parent or a grandparent who was not proud of his or her child or grandchildren. Your profession. I hope you're proud of the job, the work you do. Your church. I'm proud of you and of us, of all that we do and share together in ministry. What about being proud about some organization that you're part of? Why is pride or hubris, why does it get such a bad rap? Why does it get such a bad name and reputation that's been smeared through time? Well, it is true that Christian thinkers have condemned pride. They call it one of the chief, the chief of the seven deadly sins. The writer C.S. Lewis, perhaps you've heard of C.S. Lewis, his book entitled Mere Christianity. He has a chapter on pride and it's called The Great Sin. I've entitled my sermon this morning, Overcoming the Great Sin, borrowing from C.S. Lewis's chapter, The Great Sin. He states in that chapter that according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, guess what? Is pride, according to C.S. Lewis. Lewis goes on to write in that chapter, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. Pride leads to every other vice, he says, and he calls pride a spiritual cancer. You know what cancer does to the body often, ultimately. It kills the body. Cancer, or rather pride, is the spiritual cancer that can kill our spiritual life and our relationship with people. Now, what does the Bible have to say about pride? Because the Bible does suggest that pride is the source of evil and wickedness and sin in our world. So I want to put a few scriptures on the screen just to give you a taste of what the Bible has to say about pride. Can we put something on the screen, please? Just going to give you a little taste, because I found 30 or 40 scriptures that deal with pride, and I'm just going to narrow it down to about a dozen this morning. 
from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Pride fools you into thinking that everything that you have, materially, financially, all of the blessings that come your way, guess what? They came from your hand. They didn't come from God's hand. That's what pride does. Next screen, please. Several scriptures from the Psalms and Proverbs. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. Speaking of God. In all of his thoughts, there is no room for God. Next one, please. Proverbs, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. But humility comes before honor. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin, says the writer of Proverbs. Then from the prophet Isaiah, the Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. Again from the prophet Isaiah, the Lord Almighty planned it to bring low the pride of all glory and to humble all who are renowned on the earth. Jesus said in Luke's gospel, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Paul writes in Romans, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Then Paul also in that chapter in in the Bible that we call the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. And then finally from the writer of 1 Peter, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So, thank you for putting those scriptures on the screen. So we see clearly that Christian writers through the centuries, and certainly the Bible, understands that pride ultimately takes God off his throne and puts you on it. And puts me on it. Pride is a form of idolatry. Idolatry. Having other things or people who go before God, that, that, that's idolatry. You know, that writer, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he says, 
A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. In our text today, the Pharisee's self-righteous and judgmental heart is looking down on this tax collector. This Pharisee is focusing on his own goodness without acknowledging the goodness of God. This Pharisee really has quite a quite conceited prayer, doesn't he? In fact, he has turned prayer to God into a public recitation before God. And he describes how good he is. First of all, he has arrived at all of the appointed hours of prayer. You know, if you're a good Jew, you show up at the temple and you pray at 9 in the morning and you come back at 12 noon and then you return one more time at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Here is a good, faithful Jewish leader who is showing up at all of the appointed times of prayer. He announces in his recitation before God and any others who are listening that he has avoided some of the more obvious sins with their recognizable consequences. He is someone who is not a robber. He is someone who is not an evildoer. He is someone who has not gone out on his wife and committed adultery. In fact, he goes on to say, you know, I show up for the appointed fast days of the week. If you're a good Jew, you fast on Monday. If you're a good Jew, you also fast on Thursdays. Even though the law says that there's only really one appointed day of the year where you are required to fast, and that's the Day of Atonement, the day that we call in Hebrew Yom Kippur, where the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies and offers that annual sacrifice on behalf of the sin of the people. This tax collector is fasting twice a week. And then, I really like the next part of what he says he does. He's a tither. He's a generous giver. He gives a tenth of all that he has. And you know, if he had kept on going in his holy list of actions, he might have even have told us, you know what? I usher on the first Sunday of the month. And on the second Sunday of the month, I'm a greeter. And you know, I was just elected as a deacon in my congregation. And I teach in my Sunday school class on the third and the fourth Sundays of the month. I've been on about a half a dozen mission trips. And I sing in the choir, or I play in the orchestra, or I play handbells. And you know what else? Every Sunday, I stand up and I preach a sermon to my congregation. Or I visit people in the hospital or in their homes. Or I counsel with them when the need arises. I do weddings and memorial services and funerals and ordinations and preside over baptisms and the Lord's Supper. You see, the fact is, truth be told, this Pharisee, is you. And this Pharisee is me. Every one of us. This Pharisee cannot fathom that a humble and repentant tax collector is more acceptable to God than he is. 
This tax collector, a good old local boy who's been employed by the Roman Empire to, to collect taxes on their behalf, he is hated universally by the Jewish people because not only does he collect the taxes that are owed to Rome, but he connives to get extra to keep for himself. This Pharisee has no capacity to join the tax collector in saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, if you read C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, and you go to that chapter, The Great Sin, and you read the very last sentence of the chapter, this is what you'll read. If you think that you are not conceited, it means that you are very conceited indeed. If you think you're not conceited, it means you're very conceited indeed. See, see, that's what pride and arrogance and conceit does to us. It blinds us terribly to who we are. You know, we got a snow and ice about a week and a half ago. Cold temperatures, as you well know. Wind chill in single digits. And the snow came in Wednesday night into Thursday. And, you know, when snow comes, I'm not a happy camper. Not because I don't like the weather, but it puts me in the position of constantly trying to figure out, do we close the office today? Are we going to be able to have services on Sunday? So I'm on the phone with staff and with deacon chair and looking at the weather forecast and trying to figure out long term, you know, what do we do? Because we don't want to bring you up here and have someone fall and get hurt, have you have a car accident on the way. So we try to be very careful and put your safety number one. And so, you know, I've got all these things about Daily is the church going to be open in Sunday service and trying to figure out what to do. And for some reason, Friday about 5.15, I thought, now, you know, the snow came in Wednesday night, Thursday morning, and Friday, about 5.15, I thought to myself, did I close the vents of my crawl space around the house? Do you close your vents around your crawl space when the weather gets cold? You probably should because, you know, that cold air can blow through and freeze your pipes if you've got pipes underneath the house. So I put my coat on and my, you know, my boots and bundled up and put my hat on, went out, checked around the house. I had closed the vents. I had closed the vents. And that was good. But I got around to the back of the house where my gas meter is. And I thought I smelled a whiff of gas. You know how they put, put an aroma in the gas such that, you, you know, natural gas, propane gas, you, know, you can't smell it unless they put something in it that allows you to smell it. And I thought I smelled some gas. And then I remembered there were two or three other times in the last couple of months where I thought I had smelled gas. So I went back inside and I thought, Maybe I should call Greenville Utilities. And I really felt bad because now it's 5.30. And I call and they answer immediately. 
And the man is very polite and gracious, and I explain my predicament. And I'm, you know, I'm not trying to call, cry wolf, but I thought I smelled something, and I don't smell it in the house, but what would you suggest I do? And he said, well, you know, it's better safe than sorry. And we have four men who are out working right now. They're on call 24-7, and um, I'll send someone to you. And do you know by 6.15, somebody was banging on our front door, and the doorbell was ringing, and it was a guy from Greenwood Utilities. So I get my coat back on and my boots on, I go back outside and meet him back on the back side of the house where the meter is, and he's got his little bottle with, with a little solution in it that's got, you know, some... Um, some um, detergent or something in it so that he can spray it with water and it bubbles up if there's gas and he's spraying around it and he sprays on the back side of what's called the regulator. You know what the regulator is? Good, because I didn't either. <laughs> you make me feel better. He, he, he's spraying around the back side, uh, all over the, you know, the meter and around the back, and the back side of the regulator starts to bubble which means there's a natural gas leak. And I'm, I'm just really glad that I took my flashlight back there originally looking instead of striking a match to see <laughs> what was back there, or I might not be with you today. So I said, well, what do we do? He said, he said well, we're, we're, I'm going to take it off and repair it right now. And I said, I said, well, it's so cold. He said, oh, we do this all the time. So he took it off. Went out to his truck on the street, worked for about 30 minutes on the back of his, his truck. His tailgate was down, and he, he, had a, he said, we keep regulators on the truck. And he took it, you know, fixed things up, and took it to the back, and reconnected. And I mean, in 45 minutes, our natural gas was, was flowing again. But, but this is what I want you to understand. I had smelled that gas for several months and dismissed it because I'd smell and then I'd smell again I didn't smell it and I thought well you know it must be my imagination and you see that's what pride does to us pride is swirling around us and it seeps out of us and we smell it and we see it and we hear it in our own lot. Now we're quick to pick it up in somebody else. Oh, we can, we can call out a prideful person in a heartbeat. Which in turn kicks up our own sense of pride. But we see it, occasionally we smell it, we hear it in ourselves, and we dismiss it. We're blind to it. And that's why it's so dangerous. And we need to understand that it's not only an individual thing. It's a systemic and a societal, global phenomenon in the human race. You know, pride is being dismissed in the political world. Pride is being dismissed in the entertainment, in the media world. Pride is being dismissed in the global economic world. Pride is being dismissed in the religious world. Pride is being dismissed in the educational world. You just open your eyes and your ears and just think about some of the issues that are re revolving around us now, nationally and internationally. Things like immigration. 
Things like the sexual abuse and assault and harassment of women in the workplace. Things like human trafficking of people of all ages and genders. Things like the alt-right movement that suggests that white supremacy is God's intended natural order. Things like the nuclear threats that we face in Iran and North Korea. Things like our own state and national leaders constantly in competition and conflict with each other. If you read C.S. Lewis's book in that chapter, The Great Sin, he calls pride in its essence competition. You just look at the competition and the conflict that's going on in our government. If you look closely, we'll all see not only individual pride-filled egos involved and at work, but there is a systemic and societal pride that posits people and systems and not God as the source of all of our solutions. And my friends, that's why pride always leads to idolatry. You place yourself or something else or someone else on the throne instead of God and we forget the first of the Ten Commandments that we claim to hold so sacred, you shall have no other gods before me. You know, there's a king in Judah, a king in the Bible, in Judah named Hezekiah. He's generally described as a good and faithful king. But at the point of death, due to an illness, he prays for healing from God. And God intervenes. But then this is what we read, this is the next verse that we read after God heals him in 2 Chronicles 32. It says, and we don't know why this, why this is the case, because God had just healed him from a disease or illness that surely would have led to his death. Why this reaction from Hezekiah, we don't know, but this is what it says. But Hezekiah's heart was proud, and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. Therefore the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart, as did the people of Jerusalem. And therefore the Lord's wrath did not come on them during the days of Hezekiah. This morning, as we prepare ourselves to receive the bread and the cup, I want to invite you to do what Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem and Judah did during this time in their history. I want to invite you to repent. Last Sunday in my online sermon, I talked about repentance. And that word means to change your mind. It means to have a change of heart. And that's what Hezekiah did. He had a change of heart. He realized that God had been good and gracious to him and had healed him, and he responded in a favorable fashion. This morning, I want to invite you not to have the arrogant, conceited, pride-filled attitude of the Pharisee 
who focuses only on your own goodness and my own goodness, but I want to invite you this morning to have the heart and the spirit of the tax collector who said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So I want to invite you to get into a prayerful posture. And this is what I want to ask you to do. I want to invite you right now to pull down the kneelers in front of you and get on your knees as you are able. If your physical health does not allow you to even get on your knees, that's okay. But right now, I want you to pull down the kneelers and get on your knees in a prayerful posture this morning. If you're on the front row, you don't have kneelers. If you're in the choir, you don't have kneelers. You can get your body in a prayerful posture. And as we bow before the Lord our God, even as the people did in Hezekiah's day, I want to invite you to repent. To repent of the pride, to repent of the idolatry, to repent of the people and the things that you put number one in your life and not God. As we begin this new year before Him, I want to invite you to change your heart and change your mind. And let's have a moment of silent prayer together. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, have mercy on each of us, sinners in your sight who have failed, Lord, to be all that you have created us to be, people, Lord, who have missed the mark, who have not hit the target of all that you have invited us to be as we live, as we think, as we speak. God, forgive us individually and remove and cleanse us of the pride and the arrogance and the conceit that causes us to look down on others and see our own goodness as sufficient. Forgive us, Lord, for forgetting that we are saved by your grace through faith and trust and confidence in you. Forgive us, God, as a nation and as a world for putting others and ourselves ahead of you, and trusting in our own sufficiency, and seeing ourselves as the source of all solutions. Forgive us now, Lord, we pray, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness and sin, and call us, Lord, to be our best selves to each other in this church family, to our neighbors, our co-workers, to all that we connect with, Lord, let us have truly the heart, the mind, the spirit, the words, the actions of Jesus. And Lord, we pray this prayer now in the name of the one who taught us to pray. And let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.